You are listening to Be The Whole You, where we are continuously finding the magic in the mundane. Just as a friendly reminder, all information on this channel is for personal development only and is not considered medical or financial advice. Hello and welcome back to Be The Whole You. My name's Gulveg. On this channel, we examine finding the magic in the mundane. It is my perspective that one way humanity has lost touch with our magic is by losing the meanings of our stories, myths, lores, and legends. The story that I'm about to share of the not-so-well-known and incredibly misunderstood goddess Gulveg is a very good example of this. First, I'm going to share how the name Gulveg found me, what the common understanding of her myth is, and finally I will explain what I've come to know is her true story and why. And just as a heads up, my pronunciation of some of these words may not be the best. I have a knack for learning and understanding foreign languages, but when it comes to, for to pronunciation of foreign languages, I often feel like there's a lead weight on my tongue. So no need to send me messages about my pronunciation. I am doing my best. So with that out of the way, my personal story about finding out about Gulveg started about seven years ago, and I was completely at the time immersed in my studies. I was reading, meditating, astral traveling nearly every day. And during this time, I kept hearing this name Gulveg, and when I asked what Gulveg was, my guides would just smile. I've noticed that they seem to do this when they want me to find out my own answers. And when they aren't explicitly answering me, they are usually showing me where to look, but they're not telling me what to see. So I went to the great wizard Google and typed in the word Gulveg. I had never heard of the word, I had no idea who or what this was, and I was shocked to find out that it was the name of a Norse goddess. At first I thought, well that's kind of cool, until I learned how she was understood, and then I was confused as to what I was supposed to do with this story. There are only two stanzas that still exist that talk about this goddess. But before we get into her tale, there are a few pieces of background information that help give context to this tale. First, it's important to know that there are two camps of deities, the Vanir and the Asir. The Vanir are the earth-based deities and they come from the camp known as Vanaheim. And the celestial-based deities are from Asgard and are known as the Asir. Second, in ancient times, it was a very common practice for magic folks to travel to different villages and tribes to offer their services. These might include helping a couple get pregnant, weather magic, healing the sick, or even seeing into the future to see the most probable outcome to a situation, which was known as the magical art of Sather. Next, the timing of a story gives context, and it helps us understand the possible perspective of the storyteller. And what we know of the pre-Christian beliefs and traditions of northern Scandinavia has been pieced together by a large assortment of writings. And the most famous of these compilations is known as the Poetic Edda. One of these books is known as the Valespa, which is known as the Prophecy of the Seer. And it is here that we find the very short story of Gulveg. The Poetic Edda is a set of poems whose authors are anonymous, and has this, this compilation has been retroactively credited to the poet, historian, and politician of Snor Snorri Sturluson. It's important to note that although Iceland held on to its pagan beliefs longer than many other regions of the area, that Christianity nonetheless already had a very strong presence by the time that these poems were compiled. And the Valespa especially has overtones and additions that are obviously added during the Christian era. 
So it is very possible that the fragment of Gulveig's story that has been written down was written down through the lens of a Christian perspective. And because this was an oral tradition, the chronology of the stories themselves that we have of the Norse gods is also debatable. Often we will find that story A assumes that story B has already happened, and then when we look at story B, it assumes that story A has already occurred. And these stories were passed down orally for a really long time before anyone wrote them down. And when they were written down, it is possible that they were derived from very different sources. With oral traditions of popular stories that many people have told throughout ages, it makes sense that there might be more than one version of these tales. So with all of this in mind, let's take a look at the literal English translation of Gulveig's story. The story, by the way, is being told through a seeress who is recounting the events of the first war between the gods. Now she remembers the war, the first in the world, when Gulveig was studded with spears and in the hall of the High One, known as Odin, she was burned, thrice burned, thrice reborn, often many times, and yet she lives. She, known as Gulveig, was called Hyther. When she came to a house, the witch who saw many things, she enchanted wands. She enchanted and divined what she could. And in a trance, she practiced Sather and brought delight to evil women. So the official understanding of the story is pretty straightforward. There was a witch slash healer slash seer. Often these folks are called vovas, which translates to seer. And they traveled from the earth-based camp of the veneers to the celestial-based camp of the Asirs. And she offered her services, which was the magical practice of Sather, and her powers impressed the Asirs greatly, and this earned her the title of Hyther, which means the Bright One. Then something happened. Her title goes from Bright One to Gulveg, which means Goldthirst. And the Asir gods get pissed off enough to bring her to Odin's Hall, where they try to kill her by spear and flame. And when this doesn't work, Odin then throws a spear into the Vanir camp, and the first war is between the gods is now declared. This war went back and forth for a really long time. Both sides then eventually became very tired of it, and a truce was called. And it was customary when a truce was made that members of both sides would go to live and become family of the opposing side. So in this case, Freya and her brother Freyr, by the way, Freya is translated at, to mean lady, and that becomes important later. Freya and her brother Freyr go to live with the Asirs, and so they go from their home in to live with the Veneers, and then they go to live with the Asirs, and then the Asirs trade their members, Heiner and Mimir, to go live with the Veneers. So then Heiner and Mimir, they move from the Asir camp to the Veneer camp. So it's pretty obvious to me that there are some really large gaps of information in this tale. I mean, for something that seems like such a pivotal event, there's a lot of questions like, what happened that pissed off the Asir so much? Why did they even want gold? I mean, they had everything they already needed. Why did they need gold? And why does Gulveig get blamed for the war when she was the one who threw the spear? And also, why were the actions of one magic maker 
a justifiable reason to declare war on a whole group. So I felt like I had a riddle to solve. So I went traveling and I asked to speak, or I'm sorry, I went astral traveling and I asked to speak with Gulveg and some of my other guides, including my divine highest self. And I channeled some additional information about her story and I researched it to make sure that the information I was channeling could hold up to what we already know historically about this story, as well as the Norse people. So the story that I'm about to tell is not one that claims that the original story is wrong, but expands on it. And this is what I was told. The goddess that you know as Gulveg was adept at seeing into the future. However, this art sees how the future might be with things being as they are. The future is oftentimes still mutable, even if a different choice simply tempers the outcome. I then asked if the war between the gods was avoidable, and I didn't get an answer on that. Gulveg saw that there was a great chance for a terrible and long war between the Vanir and the Asir. This chance for war was preceded by Odin's thirst for knowledge. He would eventually find out that the Vanir were adept at directing the vibrations of creation and already knew the powers of the runes. The runes are the vibration of creation and are specific to planet Earth. They were used in the work of Sather and were the foundation of this magic. Gulveg thought that if she brought them this blessing openly, that this might temper the outcome. Maybe it might keep them from feeling like they needed to take it, or perhaps allies could be made. At first, this seemed to work. As she blessed them and they saw her powers, they were impressed and they called her Haida, the Bright One. Then they wanted her to teach them how to have the same magic. Gulveg then told them that the path of earning this was long and it would eventually require that they face their own death. The Asirs understood reciprocation, but they had not yet learned about the alchemy of magical initiation, which is why they were so impressed by her abilities in the first place. They did not understand why they would need to sacrifice themselves to themselves to do things like enchant wands or to direct the elements of nature, because Gulveg had made it look so easy. The gods thought she was holding out on them, and got upset with her. They brought her to Odin's hall. Odin wanted the knowledge too, and was also curious if Gulveg could defeat death, which was a skill he most wanted. He allowed the gods to attack her with the spears and flame, and when she did not die after the third burning, he was convinced that this witch possessed the power he most wanted, and he demanded it be handed over. Again, Gulveg said it must be earned and is not something the uninitiated could just have. It mattered not what they offered her in reciprocation. They would have to sacrifice themselves to themselves. This was still thought to be a trick. They thought that she would have them naively kill themselves in order to gain her knowledge, and then the veneer would be the only camp with this power. They were so blinded by the desire for this power that they didn't realize that she had actually demonstrated this right even as they were attacking her. Seeing how much power the veneer had and wanting it for themselves, and also concerned that the veneer might try to take the Asir camp, they decided to proactively attack first. This was thought to give them an advantage. Odin threw a spear, it went over the veneer camp, and this is what officially waged the first war. I then asked, what about gold? Why was that so important? And this is what I was told. Gold does not tarnish. By the way, I did not know that gold did not tarnish. I knew it didn't rust, but I thought it would tarnish the same as silver or copper, but evidently it doesn't. At least pure gold does not 
tarnish. Your 14 karat gold that you might have in your jewelry box does. I, I did look that up. It is considered an element that is the physical representation of immortality. It can be used to raise one's vibration and give you more stamina, especially for prolonged periods of meditation, astral travel, healing, and magic work. This is one reason why it is considered sacred to so many cultures throughout time. It is said to hold the energy of the sun. To the Norse, the sun was a feminine, life-giving mother. This was until the energies of the masculine and feminine became divorced and the masculine took this role. The Asir saw that there was a connection to the veneer's mystical secrets and this element, which is why they thirst for it. They didn't care about the gold per se, they cared about what they thought the gold would do for them. I went on to ask if Gulveig and Hyther was the same goddess as Freya, which is a popular theory. And this is what I was told. There are different aspects to gods. Gulveig and Hyther are a title for the same goddess whose name became Freya when she went to live with the Asirs after the truce of the war was declared. It was she who taught both Odin and Frigg the mystical arts, which is why you see Frigg and Freya as having so many of the same powers and characteristics. Eventually, it was understood why, quote-unquote, one must be the vessel of wisdom before one can hold any wisdom of worth, end quote. It was Gulveig who eventually became known as Freya, who taught Odin the alchemical process of magic initiation of sacrificing oneself to oneself. He took this lesson and applied it to gain the knowledge of the runes for himself, which is when he took out his eye and hung himself on the tree for nine days. I then asked, well, what about Odin's spear? His spear had runes on it. His spear is known as Gugnir. And this is what I was told. Gugnir was not the spear used at this time. It was not Gugnir that was thrown to start the war. The Asirs knew of the runes, but not specific information on how to direct their energy. Asirs understood sacrifice, but not personal transformation. This is different from shapeshifting. Shapeshifting is a magical method used to change one's energy to take on the appearance and often abilities of a different creature. In alchemy, the magician is the vessel, the contents, and the energy. There is no separation. It is possible to grow in power without this kind of transformation, but it is often incomplete and hazardous. If one's desire and power outgrow our ability to keep our desires and egos in check, then absolute chaos can ensue. This is especially the case when you are dealing with one of the most powerful forces of all, death and entropy. Thirsting for wisdom and magic is not inherently bad, but it must be tempered with discipline, patience, and self-awareness. And that is the end of the channeled information. And here are a few thoughts and pieces of research that bring this together. First, let's take a look at the last line, which is really the line that gets a lot of people, which is brought delight to evil women. The work of divination, healing, and magic of all kinds was thought to be a very feminine art to the ancient people of northern Scandinavia. There is even evidence that Odin was often criticized for practicing this quote-unquote unmanly art. Whether this was a verse that was added after the Christian era and was the perception of the author, or this was reflective of the fear-love relationship of a pagan community pre-Christian era, is totally debatable. A lot of folks assumed that pagans loved witches, and I really wish this was the case, but that's not necessarily so. Christianity is not the first to demonize the witch. Even pre-Christian era writings show a love-fear relationship that many pagans had towards the magic makers. And this fear-love relationship, it still exists today. 
People love them when they need them, and yet the power that magic makers hold that the uninitiated does not understand creates great fear. For the uninitiated, the healer, sage, seer, healer, witch, vova, shaman, whatever their title is, have always induced a mixture of wonderment and worry. The story very much coincides with other mythology that reflects the change from an animistic point of view, which is the point of view that all things have a spirit and is more nature-based, to one that is more associated with celestial sky, sky god worship. There is much evidence that earlier civilizations that were more earthbound in their spiritual practices were more commonly associated with goddess worship. For example, in ancient Greece, we see this transition from the Minoans, who were goddess-worshipping, to the early ancient Greeks who invaded these regions and replaced the goddess worship with a celestial sky god. It is my belief that this story is describing the same phenomena. It is the great divorce of the peace between Father Sky and Mother Earth. And it is this great divorce that really sets the seed of fear and suspicion of magic-making. Some folks I've shared this story with wrestle with the notion that the Asirs did not understand the process of personal transformation known as spiritual alchemy. And that spiritual alchemy is the basis for a lot of different magic initiations. And spiritual alchemy is when the magic person undergoes a type of death and then is reborn. Typically, they're reborn in the same body, but in mythology, that isn't always the case. Um, and when they're reborn, they have new abilities and insight. As a side note, in present times, in real life, this process can also be used as a model for egoic death that leads to personal evolution. And in the next episode, I will share very various myths and lores and legends and stories that demonstrate alchemy of the self and explore how we might use this model for ourselves. So stay tuned. And I digress. But so I thought about this too. I thought about, well, does it make sense that the Asirs did not understand magic initiation? And after thinking about this and analyzing it, it, it actually does make sense that the Sky God camp wouldn't have this knowledge. And just hear me out on this. Let's consider the elements that these two camps are associated with and what these elements represent. The veneer are from the camp of Vanaheim and are associated with magic and with the element of earth. Earth is associated with the circle of life and death. It is the element that physical manifestations of all kinds are birthed through. And earth is commonly associated with feminine energy and we have evidence that strongly suggests that magic, in this culture at least, was a feminine act. Now let's take a look at the sky camp of the Asirs known as Asgard. The Asirs were more known for might than they were known for their magic, and physical might and combat were more associated with male characteristics. Many of the natural abilities of the gods in the Asgardian camp are more associated with the element of air, such as the ability to harness and direct light, lightning, thunder, super strength, and endurance. So Odin, a lot of folks talk about, well, Odin is a god of war and death. So wouldn't he know about this process of personal transformation? And not, not necessarily so. Odin is naturally a god of war and death, and death is often seen as the spirit escaping the physical body into the element of air or ether. But using death as a doorway to transform oneself to become a bridge that can channel and direct unseen energy is more aligned with reincarnation and because even spiritual reincarnation has an element of rebirth associated with it 
it is then more the domain of the element of earth than it is of air in that context. So what makes sense that the sky camp would not have knowledge of this type of magic? This rendition of the story does not seem to contradict any of the writings. However, it may call into question the series of events of some of these stories, which is debatable anyway. And many of the characteristics that we associate with Odin, such as magic and creation, so on and so forth, they were earned. They weren't something that he innately had. So it is very possible that he first learned how to attain them through a visitor from Vanaheim. And that brings me to the present time, my friends. As you can see, eventually I chose to embrace this very complicated name. And it was a very difficult choice because despite the fact that I have a fear of being misunderstood, I could think of no better way to let Gulveig's story be told than to openly embrace this story that so perfectly demonstrates what is often called the witch wound. So what is the witch wound? I'll try to describe it as simple as possible and as concisely as possible because it's often complex and it's a very personal feeling for a lot of people who carry the witch wound. For those who are called to alternative healing or magic of any kind, there is a fear that hums in the back of our souls and minds. It is the feeling that what we are practicing might put us in some sort of danger, not necessarily from the healing or from the magic itself, but from society as a whole. It is the feeling of invalidation even before we have shared what we know. It is the feeling of alienation because not just what we do, but who we are calls into question mainstream ideals. It is the choice to follow a calling that, just like Gulveig, may make us a target, or to deny the calling and allow a gradual, soul-numbing death to eat away at us. The witch wound is the echo of the burning times that still runs in our veins. It is your genetic knowing that being a magical creature is to cross the neat and tidy hedge of mainstream culture into the wild wisdom of nature. Since the great divorce between the sacred masculine and feminine, embracing being a magical force of nature has always come with the sacrifice of social acceptance. It might have made sense that I would have preferred to be called Hyther or Freya. After all, these are the same person according to what I've been told. And to be honest, I've never even thought that I would ever take a spiritual name. But when this riddle came to me, and I learned her story. I was called to embrace and to embody that truth. And to be called Haida or Freya would to have been to gloss over the truth. The truth is, is that to be the bright one, to really shine, one must be willing to own one's desires and to take responsibility for one's own power. And that when we do this, it is not uncommon to be the scapegoat for others who are not yet willing or able to do the same. Hyther was her title of flattery when they wanted something from her. Freya was her title when she was socially acceptable. Gulveig is the title of the goddess who would not bow down or give in. She was the wild wise woman who took complete responsibility for her power even if she had to suffer to protect it from others who might abuse it. She is the sovereign woman, the rebel, the alchemist, the keeper of the secrets of the sacred feminine, and that, my friends, is a name I can get behind. 
This story has some uncanny similarities to the story of the goddess money that I also channeled, and I can't believe that I didn't even see these similarities until I started creating this podcast on Gulveg. If you haven't heard the story of the goddess money, check it out. I've already had folks share with me that it has changed their relationship with money for the better. It's the podcast episode right before this one, and I look forward to expanding on this further in a future episode. I hope you at least enjoyed this rendition of the story, even if you choose not to believe it. I definitely enjoyed sharing this story, and every time I do, it seems that I have more new insights and understandings. Thank you all who support this channel by subscribing, liking, rating, and sharing this channel. We need more magic and less mundane matrix in this world today. So if you know someone who would appreciate any of these episodes, then please share the love. Until next time, stay curious, my friends. Thank you for joining us in this episode of Be The Whole You. To make sure you don't miss an opportunity to dive into the rabbit hole, hit that subscribe button.